morning. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, I feel like, uh, like I, I've known this church for a long time, kind of in a weird, kind of not really a weird way, but I was a youth minister in Jackson, Mississippi for a long time in seminary. And of course, everybody who went to JA or prep would come to Old Miss and, and y'all would care for them. And, uh, and then I was a, a youth guy in, in Memphis for a long time. And of course, Independent Press always sent our student, most of our kids came to Old Miss. Um, we prayed for their salvation as they came, but, but they, they went. Um, I'm just kidding, sorry. That, I knew that wouldn't land well. Um, <clears throat> we're, uh, yeah, and I'm so, I'm, I'm the RUF guy at the University of Memphis. This is, I just finished my seventh year. Um, love to talk to you about RUF, um, support RUF here um, uh, at, at Old Miss. Uh, Austin Brash is, is here, pretty excited about him being here. And, um, take him to lunch, take him to play golf, um, give him money, all those great things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, thank you for, for your love and care and support of RUF um, over the years. We're going to be in Philippians 3, 1 through 11, looking at this righteousness this act, that actually gets us in this morning. And I'll, I'll read that this morning, starting in verse 1, Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, the mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, <clears throat> in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And I know, and, and I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you can tell by my physique, but I don't, I'm not a big runner. Um, I don't know if I trust runners, um, to tell you the truth. Uh, but I do like watching movies about runners. I do. I do I, sorry. I don't know. Like, y'all are just as hard as the 830 class. Uh, um, but I, I love watching old movies, and I've made my, uh, my, my boys watch old movies, kind of dude movies, Braveheart. Um, and one recently we, we, I made my guys watch is Chariots of Fire. It's this great movie, and I actually question whether or not you're a believer if you haven't seen this movie. Um, Scott told me he hadn't seen it. I que- kind of questioned why y'all hired that guy, but... But anyway, great movie, Chariots of Fire. It chronicles the lives of two men um, how, and how they enter life 
um, after school and they're runners. And I don't trust them, but they're training for the Olympics. One is Eric Little and the other is Harold Abrams. Harold Abrams has lived most of his life on the outside because he was a Jew in England at the time. And there is this one poignant moment right before the race for the gold medal where he is reflecting on like how important this race is. And this is what he says. When the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. He says, when the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. What is he saying? Like he's saying what you and I want to say, right? I want my life to matter. I want my life to matter. I want people to want to know me. I want people to love me, to accept me. And what he is saying is that if I win this race, if I win this race, my life will be worthy to be loved. My life will be worthy to be loved and even remembered. My life will matter is what he's saying. And if if you were to put it into Paul's words, what he was actually hoping to find in this race was righteousness. He was hoping to find the standing whereby We are made completely, securely, forever accepted and loved and valued, even by God. And this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to do it, I'm going to try to do that with uh, three questions. Three points, three questions. Uh, What is righteousness? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? So let me jump into this first question. What is righteousness? And Paul uses this word in verses 9 and 10, but he's actually talking about this word righteousness all through this passage. Paul says in verse 9, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And he's using that word righteousness here. If, if I was to make the most simple definition of like righteousness, it would be this. It's, it is a status that gets you in It's a status that gets you in. Righteousness is that. A status that gets you in. Harold Abrams is saying that if I win the gold medal, I will be in. And I will actually even be forever in. Um, We know what this is like, right? We all know what this is like. Most of us have had resumes or working on resumes or, or we have been there, done that. Um, and if your resume is good enough, right, if your resume is good enough, you'll get in into a particular job or college or club or whatever. Um, we, so we know what it's like to put together something that might get us in. And we all have different degrees of confidence to which uh, whatever it is might get us into that particular thing. And Paul says something similar in this passage. Like, look at verse 3 and 4. He says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though myself have reason for such confidence. This idea of righteousness here is like intimately tied to confidence. The confidence through which uh, you approach life on a day-to-day basis is is tied to um, where you think you receive your righteousness. Um, How well you think you're in gives you confidence. How well you think you're in 
gives you confidence. Now, working, now, if our working assumption is that if the rest of life is this way, then our righteousness before God comes in the same way, we think. That, that if we want to be accepted by an employer or a club or a college or whatnot, uh, we put together a, a resume that is convincing. And so we think if we want to be accepted by God, we have to prove ourselves acceptable to him. And so what we find next in this passage is Paul's spiritual resume, his old spiritual resume, where he, he talks about the things that used to give him uh, confidence, that he used to put his trust in, the things that he, that, that, he, that he used to make him feel good about himself in his standing before God. And he breaks them down into two categories, who he is and what he's done. Look at verse 5 and following. He says, if anyone else... Uh, thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he's about to just tell you how awesome he is. He's about to drop it and go, let me just tell you how, how awesome I am. Uh, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like he was, he's, he's just telling you how important he is. Like Paul is saying, look, I was born in. I was a big deal. I was born in. I was born into the people of God. I have been raised by this faithful family all my life. I have the pedigree of someone who was in, and that used to give me great confidence. And if that wasn't enough, look at what he goes on to say. He says, in regard to the law of Pharisee. Pharisees, Pharisees generally today get a pretty bad rap. Um, but for centuries, Pharisees were the most honored and revered people in their day. Like historians would even tell you uh, that the Jewish culture was preserved by this group of people who stood in the gap when Alexander the Great took over that whole area. Like they were actually kind of the heroes of that day. And he is saying, I have joined that group of people. He was very zealous Although misdirected um, as he persecuted the church, uh, Paul did not have this live and let live policy uh, to the growing movement of followers of Jesus. He set out in his zeal to destroy the church. You read about this in Galatians 1.13. And then he had like imprisoned men and women in Acts 22. He, tr he, uh, he tried to get them to blaspheme against God in Acts 8. And then in Acts 26.11, like he describes his very efforts to destroy the Christian church as an obsession. He was obsessed. Why was he so obsessed? Because he thought God would be pleased with his zeal. He was zealous. And then look what he says in verse 6. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Or as the ESV translates, that as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Like he is saying, like, if you think you take God's word seriously, if you think that you take the commands of God seriously, he is saying, I got something to tell you. Like, I don't know anyone else who I've met who have taken God's word seriously as I do or his commands as serious as I do. Like, he, he doesn't mean that he was sinless, like, but he dealt with his sin uh, in the way the law actually required offering sacrifices. Like he was a teacher of the law and he zealously guarded it against trespasses. In other words, Paul was very satisfied with his law keeping. He was basically 
saying, look, I am a big deal. Like he probably posted like Instagram and social media pictures of, of him keeping the law somehow. I don't know, fasting, not eating a cheeseburger. I don't know. Like he, he was kind of a big deal. He had a lot of reason to boast in his flesh. And Paul is saying, this was my confidence. This was my confidence. What I thought would get me in. And so let me ask you this this morning. If, if, if that is what righteousness is, if that is what righteousness is in, then the real important personal question this morning for us is, what does righteousness tend to be for you? What does righteousness tend to be for you? What do you tend to look to or to trust in to make you feel confident, to make you feel secure? Like when, when that sense of who you are is threatened, when that sense of who you are is threatened, what do you do to remind yourself of what makes it all worth it? What do you do? Maybe you're a mama's boy like me. I was reminded, I told the story earlier this morning, that as I was driving here, I used to, my mother passed away last July, and, and I used, every time I'd preach somewhere, um, I would call my mom, and I'd like, Mom, I'm going to go preach this church. They do sacraments weird. And I, you have to figure out how to do. Everybody does it differently. And so it kind of makes, you, makes us pastors kind of nervous when we go to those places. They do everything different. And, and today I was thinking, man, I would have loved to talk to my, 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 my mother this morning because I'm going to go preach where Les Newsom preached. Like, I mean, I've been cleaning up Les's job mess, like, for, for a long time at the University of Memphis where he started RUF. But, but man, now I'm here. I'm preaching. And, and, and I was getting pretty nervous, and I would, I'd want to call my mother because that's what calmed my fears. Maybe you're not a mama's boy like me. Uh, maybe it's the, the performance of your kids um, that, that you look into. You, like when you feel when that sense of who you are is threatened, you look to, man, my, my kids are sitting really good in church. Or, or how they perform on the ball field or how they don't perform on the ball field. Maybe it's the sense of, your, of, of independence. <clears throat> when, when, that, when you feel that sense of who you are is threatened, you remind yourself, I don't need them or anyone. Maybe you think about the past and how difficult it's been to walk the straight and narrow all this time. Um, how, how you've been involved um, in, in all these Christian communities and church and, and all these things and, and how it's all been worth it. Uh, that sense of thinking back on your own obedience, on your, on your own faithfulness. And that is what grounds you and that's what gives you confidence. Look, it's actually very important. It's very important for you to identify those things, whether you're a mama's boy or not, that you run to, that you run to when that sense of who you are is threatened. Not just if you're not a Christian or if you're thinking about being a Christian, like, but the, the Christian life, even for Paul, even for him, was one of like continually reminding himself, uh, turning away from other things that do not compare to the righteousness that we find in Christ. That is why, that is why it's, it's very important for you and I to identify those things we run to that make you feel good. What makes you feel like you're in? Which brings me to this second question. Why do we need this righteousness? Why do we need this status that gets us in? Well, the Bible story is this. Like you and I were created in perfect relationship with God. 
with our lives centering around God. And because our lives were, were perfectly centered around God, we had this right status before him. We were in with him. And because we were in with him, we were actually in with one another. We were in with one another. And we were actually even, we were actually even in with ourselves. We were in with ourselves. Before sin entered the world, it would have been unthinkable to look in the mirror and hate what you see. Because we were in with ourselves. But we lost that. We lost that because of sin, because we have turned away from God. Now we live with this nagging sense of not. We live with this nagging sense of not. This nagging sense that maybe, maybe I'm not really in. Maybe I'm not in. And sometimes we're able to, to mute those voices, but other times those voices scream at us, telling you over and over again, you're not in. You're not in. And so we turn to those things that make us feel like we're in. It could be your parents. It could be your, your independence. It could be your job. It could be the stuff you have. It can be your children. It can be relationships. It could be how smart you are. And when we hear those voices screaming at us that we're not in, we turn to those things that make us feel like we're in. And Paul is saying, look, there's actually way more at stake here than how you feel. There's, way, there's so much more at stake here than how you feel. Look, our feelings, our feelings can lead sometimes to our greatest and biggest needs, but they don't always do that. For instance, I remember my senior year in high school, uh, the night I was packing for my senior trip uh, to go to Washington, D.C., uh, and, uh, and, and my mother had gone to bed, and I, for some reason, I don't know, I'm thinking about this now going, why? Why did I want to make hot cocoa? But I did, and that's probably why I have a weight problem now. I love hot cocoa. And so I, I remember going downstairs and putting the, her, my mom's favorite tea kettle on the stove to boil some water, went back upstairs to pack, mess around, fell asleep. Hours later, I woke up to something smell, the smell of something burning. You know, it was that like, huh, you know, that you kind of wake up, you're like, oh. And I remember running downstairs, turning the corner, and really at the second, the first service, this was a perfect time. Like it was like the sun was beaming down. It was like the Shekinah glory was like it was like ah this moment of this illustration. But but I remember turning the corner and seeing like the this this tea kettle was like a lava ball sitting there on the stove, like brilliant red. Like ah, it was really incredible. And and I just remember panicking and thinking like this nagging sense that things are not going to be right with my mother and Aunt Mara. In, pan in panic, I like tried to grab it and pull the, pull the, uh, the handle. Bad move because it just oozed off and the, the tea kettle part was like, drooped down. It was like horrible. And as it cooled down, it was like, it was like, used to, it was like copper. And then, now, and then as it cooled down, it was black, like full, like soot all on it. And I spent the whole night into the wee hours, they scrubbing, trying to scrub the soot off, trying to glue that thing back together to make it look like it hadn't been like totally destroyed so I could get out of the house before my mom noticed. You know, hoping that I could do enough, hoping I could do enough to make it right and it wouldn't go unnoticed because sometimes we really do feel that way. We really do feel that way, don't we? 
like that all our efforts, especially our religious efforts, uh, we're trying to somehow make up for, for, for what we have done wrong. And we, we are trying to make up for the way um, from which we have failed God. And sometimes, like, we can't, we, we get this nagging sense that, you know, I'm not sure if I can do nearly enough for what I've done. And now, whether or not you feel that way or not this morning, like, let me be clear, there, the Bible does actually talk about this obstacle between you and God that you cannot repair yourself. You can't repair yourself. And so that is why Paul is saying that there's way more, more, there's way more at stake here than just how you feel. Look back at verse 3 when he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God who glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that this is the only way to be in with God. This is it. This is the only way. If you want God in your life and you want those things that he talks about in verse, I don't know if those things popped out to you in verse 10 and 11. If you want those things in verse 10 and 11, the power of his resurrection so that you might endure great suffering, even attain the resurrection from the dead. If you want those things, this is the only way you can get it. This is the only way you can get it. There's so much more at stake here than just how you feel about being in or not. So finally, let me, let me answer this last question. How do we get it? How do we get this righteousness that makes you and I acceptable? The status that gets you in with God. We usually think about it in, in terms of building a resume, but that is what Paul calls in this passage, confidence in the flesh, which is bad, if you're tracking with me. It's bad. He talks about another righteousness. He talks about another righteousness that comes from God by faith. Look at verse 7 and 8. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. This is very important. Like, this is really pretty important. Like, if you've never been offended by the gospel before, you should be offended by what, he is, what he's saying here. Like, you and I should be offended by this. Because what Paul is saying is, look, there have been good things that have been in my life. Like, there have been great things that have been in my life. A good family, good church, good values, all these things. But he discovered something about them. That when he looked to them to get, to get him in, they actually are not gain, but they are loss. Those things are loss. The thing, they are the things that have separated him actually from God. But more than that, uh, he said in order to gain Christ, in order to gain Christ, he had to learn to count those things as rubbish to tell myself that the things I used to think were the greatest things about me in my life are rubbish. There's some debate about this word rubbish. Uh, the word rubbish really is more excrement. Um, and that's why the King James, King James Version uh, translates that word as dung. Um, it's a metaphor, right? It's a powerful metaphor. Uh, 
like what he is saying is the things that have mattered most to you, uh, you must tell yourself that they are actually dung. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. In order to gain Christ, you must tell yourself that, that these other things are rubbish. Look, being nice, being known as the nice person, as great as that is, is rubbish. Being smart doesn't count for anything. Being a member of the greatest church all the years and years and years of doing your best to do what is right doesn't count for anything more than excrement, than rubbish. It's not that those things in and of themselves are bad. But Paul is saying, compared, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, he counts those things as such. How can that be? How can that be? Like when we, we trust in, when, when we trust in Christ, when we put all our hope in him, when we put our faith in him, we receive what Paul says is righteousness from God. Look, look at what he says. He, he, he says, he says, for whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And Paul is saying, look, look, it's Jesus alone. It's Jesus apart from, in spite of anything else you think you bring. It's only, he's the only one who gets you in. That's it. He gets you in, freely in, unshakably in forever in, like you're only in because of Jesus. Like we, you got to remember, like we weren't actually getting in. Like, in Paul, like we weren't getting in. It, it, he got us in. Jesus got us in. And what Paul is saying is that there is no one else who gets us in but Jesus. Period. And the only way he gets you in is if you put your faith in him. With Jesus, you're, you're, with Jesus, you're not born in. Remember, he had to earn your way in. He had to earn your way in. When Jesus began his public ministry, it begins with God speaking from heaven. You remember this? He was speaking from heaven, and, and, he, says, and he says this from heaven. He says, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. And then when you start reading through the Gospels and you read about Jesus, you realize why his heavenly father loved him so much. You know what? Because he did everything right. Jesus did everything right. He never failed his heavenly father, not once, which makes his cry from the cross like uncomprehensible on the surface where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had done everything everything right. Look, Christianity is this, like he was forsaken for yours and my failures. For our sins and our failures, he was forsaken. He was forsaken so that we might receive this status of a beloved son, a beloved daughter who had never failed his heavenly father. Look, Christ 
gives us, he imputes his righteousness to us. He gives it to us. And it's yours. It's freely yours. It's unshakably yours. It's forever yours. Do you see how Paul like belabors this idea over and over again? This idea of faith in this passage? Found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that is which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. It's by faith. Look, not anything of your own doing. Not anything of your own doing. Why is he saying this? He is saying that there is nothing in you. There is absolutely nothing in you that earns it. There's nothing in you that earns it. But he's also saying, and this is great news. He's actually saying, there's actually nothing in you that earns it, but there's also nothing in you that jeopardizes it. And not even the strength of your faith secures it for you. That's great news. Not even, not even the strength of your faith secures it for you. It's totally the object of your faith. It's totally Jesus. He secures it. Like this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard, right? It's going to be hard, uh, to, hard for you to stop trusting in those things that you love most. It's hard for me. I miss my mom. I love to call her. Um, but it's hard to try, stop trusting in those things. Uh, they made you feel good about yourself for a long time, and it's difficult to stop trusting in them and to count those things as loss. It will also be difficult because people that matter most to you are going to be very disappointed if you start doing these things. Um, they're going not to, they're not going to understand uh, what you're doing, um, or or maybe even reject you, and you'll be on the outside probably. And Paul says, "Look, you will lose some of these things. Think about." What he lost, like he lost tons of things. But what you find is this new in with Jesus, with God, that brings about this new freedom that gives an even greater confidence and a new joy that cannot be touched by your circumstances at all. Like it, it can't even be touched even by your own failures. And it's absolutely free. I started telling you, started out uh, this, uh, talking about Harold Abrams from the Chariots of Fire and questioned, or not, questioned whether or not you're a Christian. Sorry about that. But let me close by letting you, um, uh, telling you about this other guy in the story, Eric Little, uh, who was also training for the Olympics. He is a Christian from a missionary family. Uh, and his sister gets all concerned that all this attention that he's, uh, been placing on these Olympics and this training for this, you know, this whole deal and all this praise and fame he's getting is, has been getting, that he's been getting from his countrymen is going to his head. Uh, and she's greatly concerned that, you know, he's totally distracted. He's not going to be a missionary in China. And so she confronts him um, about this. And this is what he says back to her as she confronts him about, um, about all this. And he says this to her. He said, God made me for China. He said, God made me for China, but he also made me fast. 
When I run, I feel his pleasure. Now he gets it, right? He gets it, right? Like he, get, he gets it because he wants to be a missionary. Like he wants to be a missionary. But he knows that being a missionary doesn't make God love him any more or less. It doesn't get him in. That's not what's getting in him. And he knows that. And he gets it. He knows he's only in because he's in Christ. That's it. And because he's there, he finds this joy in his running apart from anything else he'll ever achieve by it. Like, do you hear that? When I run, I feel his pleasure. Like he found a joy that doesn't depend on what he can achieve and it's his by faith. It's his by faith. Is that true for you this morning? Have you found that joy? It actually can be yours. Um, Puritan David Dickinson, and all that means is, when, uh, I love it when pastors are like, hey, Puritan David Dickinson, that just means he's dead, okay? He's an old guy, super, super, super smart guy, way smarter than I, that's why I'm quoting him. Um, but he, I love this quote um, from this Puritan. I don't, I don't read the Puritans. I just steal quotes. I, just want y'all, I don't want y'all to give y'all a misunderstanding of who I am. But I love this quote. Uh, Puritan David Dickinson, on his deathbed, he said this. He said, I've, I've taken my good deeds and I've taken my bad deeds and I've thrown them together in a heap and I fled from them both to Christ. In him, I have peace. Look, righteousness is simply a status that gets you in. Jesus alone, Jesus apart from, in spite of anything else you think you bring to the table, is the only one that gets you in. And he gets you forever in, he gets you freely in, he gets you unshakably in, and you're only in because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you for the reminder um, of what you have accomplished by your life and by your death and by your resurrection. Father, we thank you for Christ. Help us to believe it. Father, we will struggle believing it. We'll walk out of here and we will forget it. Help us to believe that we're only in because of you, not because of what, anything we do or what we bring to the table. Father, help us to believe um, in what you've accomplished for us. We thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.